what's your target price for uh, you know, Compass, Albemarle, Liven, and SQM? Welcome back to Rockstock Channel, and thanks for checking in. Before we launch into the interview, we'd like to thank all our Patreon sponsors. And for those of you who are new, share a bit about us. RK Equity is an advisory firm run by Rodney Hooper and me, Howard Klein. We are exclusively focused on raising awareness about companies producing or developing the next generation critical raw materials that are powering Tesla's EV battery energy transition. Please register your email at rkequity.com and follow Rodney and me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please also subscribe to this channel, Rockstock Channel on YouTube, as well as Lithium Ion Rocks on SoundCloud for our podcasts. Please note, Rodney and me are not financial advisors or broker-dealers. Nothing you hear in this video is investment advice. Please do your own research and read the disclaimer at the end of this video or on our website. Thanks again for the support, and let's get into the video. It is uh, Thursday, July 29th. We're very privileged to have Seth Goldstein, who is an analyst at Morningstar. We've called this uh, Morningstar's Lithium Compass because he very much is uh, the guiding light um, at Morningstar for all things lithium, as he does cover Albemarle, SQM, Livent, as well as 17 other companies, including Tesla and ag companies like Nutrien. He also covers Compass Minerals, which is a new company uh, in the lithium space. Morningstar covers only U.S. listed companies, so not uh, Australian or Canada lithium companies. And there are now seven ways to play lithium in a, in a fully U.S. listed form. So there are those, the big three producers, as I mentioned, but then there's Piedmont as a developer, Lithium Americas as a developer, Standard Lithium uh, recently uplisted to the NYSE American and now the newest name uh, is Compass Minerals. Seth, who's been covering Compass for five years, uh, I've learned, you know, Compass is a client of RK Equities um, and an investment. Uh, and I, I learned recently that that Seth, uh, over the, like three or four years ago, um, you know, looked at the Great Salt Lake and said that that kind of looks like the Atacama and you're making potash, you know, isn't there any lithium in there, right? And um, they didn't say anything until uh, last week. Seth has written a note and he affixed a $10 a share in Compass's share, which is equivalent valuation of about $340 million. My name is Seth Goldstein. I'm a senior equity analyst at Morningstar covering the lithium and chemical space. Um, also cover agriculture companies. And then I also chair our electric vehicle committee at Morningstar. And through that, I cover Tesla. Um, our EV committee is a committee of analysts throughout the entire EV supply chain that are all impacted by the same EV forecast. So we have our auto analysts on, we have our battery analysts, we even have our oil and gas and utilities analysts on so that we can all share information and take the same EV forecast and put that into all of our individual company models. I've been reading uh, your research, uh, I guess, three, four years ago when you were very optimistic um, on EV demand um, and, and lithium demand, outlier optimistic. Um, I remember Livent was one of the first to kind of suggest a million tons by 2025. And, and now that's like almost on the low end of, of, of forecast. So what are your forecasts, I guess, for lithium demand in 2025? and 2030. Yeah, so we, we think lithium demand is going to grow about six times between now and 2030. Um, that's going to represent a sustained, you know, high uh, teens to low 20% growth rate on an annualized basis. 
when you say six times growth, uh, do, you, do you know what your number is exactly in terms of um, you know, forecasted lithium demand? Yeah, so we're looking at you know, 1.9 um, to over 2 million tons of demand at that point. What sort of EV penetration rates uh, back that number up? So globally, we're forecasting 30% EV adoption. So we use a regional buildup model looking at the US, Europe, and China, and then uh, different other countries like Japan, South Korea, Canada. Um, then we make some assumptions about the rest of the world to sort of build up to that 30%. Europe, we're gonna see, we're forecasting 50% EV adoption by 2030. Place like the US, we're just forecasting in line with the global average of 30%. We're very concerned or very like focused on profitability of lithium companies, lithium producers, lithium developers. A couple of years ago, uh, I, we were watching the market, you know, and SQM had a 15 billion market cap, you know, and Albemarle had a 15 billion market cap. This was like three or two, three years ago. SQM today has a 12 billion market cap. Albemarle's market cap has grown to 22 billion, right? So the market has been saying, you know, we like Albemarle's and both of these companies are, are traded like lithium companies, even though they have other businesses. So at the time SQM was at a 15 billion market cap, their, uh, the contribution of lithium to their overall profitability was something like 50%. Um, and likewise for Albemarle. Albemarle, it's still 50%. SQM, it, it's like 15 to 20%. However, if you look at the volumes uh, that they sell of lithium, Albemarle has grown only a little bit. SQM's volumes have grown enormously. So SQM has grown their lithium volume. Their business has grown very significantly, but their profitability from lithium sales has decreased enormously. And their strategy that they've pursued has been ramp up carbonate, sell it into China, but they're getting you know, quite a low price for that. So you know, there's this argument, lithium is, is a specialty chemical or it's a commodity. In, in my view, SQM treats this very much like a commodity. Um, whereas Albemarle Live Vent treated as a specialty, they've had more stable longer term. What it's one thing a a contracting strategy, but it's also a a quality and, and a market discipline. What what's ultimately going to determine profitability is where you sell the lithium, the quality that you sell it, and then the pricing strategy. So you know, for a company like Albemarle, who takes a multi-year pricing strategy, tends to focus more volumes on the higher battery quality lithium, they're likely to see uh, more even profits throughout a lithium cycle as they don't see as much price declines uh, due to more of their volumes being under the long-term contracts. You know, I think SQM was selling lower quality products, and that's why we've seen profits fall, profit margins fall, and profitability fall um, as a percent of SQM's total profits. But, you know, this, this seems to be in line with SQM's pricing strategy that they've done for other parts of the business too. If you look at iodine just a few years ago for SQM, uh, they pursued a volume over price strategy in an attempt to gain market share. And I think they did the exact same thing here um, with lithium in the Chinese market. And we saw prices and profits fall, but 
you know, now that we are in a more undersupplied market with rising prices, I think SQM set to capture more upside. And we should see lithium bounce back to a, a larger part of their profits in a relatively short time period. Beth, we've seen uh, some announcements recently uh, by Elon Musk in the latest uh, earnings uh, update, which runs contrary to what he said last year at the battery day. So less than a year, there's sort of a change. You've got LFP now that he's mentioning, and it's been enjoying a market share rise in, in China. Do you think that Europe and perhaps the US are going to pay closer attention to the LFP higher carbon footprint? I, I think it's very important, especially for the European automakers. And I think they are trying to reduce that upfront EV manufacturing carbon footprint as much as possible. In line with that, I think most automakers in the US and Europe are likely to use the high nickel, uh, hydroxide-based battery cathodes in their you know, production. Um, I think we've seen the LFP technology in China, but we also tend to see a lower range EV in China. I don't think many US and European consumers are going to sign up to buy an EV unless it's at least 300 miles, if not 350 or 400 miles uh, on a single charge. That's likely going to require either putting in a giant LFP battery or using a high nickel uh, hydroxide based uh, battery cathode. And I think that's the most likely technology to win out in the US and Europe. Um, at that point, I think you know, that will help reduce some carbon as well, since as you pointed out, currently LFP has a higher carbon footprint uh, than, than high nickel does. What's behind the higher carbon footprint? The energy cool. source to produce all the components. Seth, my view is, is if you, you can get the cost per kilowatt hour at the pack level down to 60 to 80, you can electrify everything, which means I think there is going to be a massive need. And I don't know if you saw this morning, uh, CATL released its sodium ion battery and basically other than energy density, it was superior to LFP. So they think they can get that energy density up from 160 to 200. And that could potentially, in my mind, tackle LFP on the energy storage side of it, because even if it's slightly lower, if you're not moving it anywhere, it's on the face of it, you'd say, oh, that's a competitive, that's going to eat away at lithium demand. And my view is not. If you can, if you can do 60 to 80, I think true gigawatt hour, you know, you look at um, Benchmark's uh, battery tracker, it's creepy. It's, it's gone from 1500 gigawatt hours to 4100 in the last two years. And I think it's going to eight and a half, 10 and possibly even higher. That's the truth. You think maybe it could be Chinese cathode makers and battery manufacturers that will actually locate themselves in Europe, possibly and even the US to do it because I don't see how foreign companies sticking to European regulations on ESG, on, you know, permits, on everything else, and wanting a decent operating margin can compete with BYD and, and CATL located in China. I, I think what we would see is CATL building more factories. Um, I believe they're building a factory in Eastern Europe right now. So I think you could see more of those type of locations that would allow them to be you know, near their European Union customers, but perhaps not subject to the same uh, regulations on the battery manufacturing side. Um, but I, I think what, what we're also going to see is the high nickel uh, battery plants, we, you know, that from, 
from producers like um, the South Korean battery producers, the Japanese battery producers, we'll see those also locate factories in the US and Europe um, and producing that lower carbon intensity, high nickel cathode chemistries. In terms of pricing carbonate hydroxide in your models, what do you forecast as a, as a price when you think about hydroxide and carbonate? And do you differentiate between are you selling into the China market versus are you selling into you know, the North American and European markets? Yes, so we forecast uh, one lithium carbonate price and we forecast a lithium hydroxide price. Um, Long-term, I think we're going to be at around 12,000 a ton in 2021 real terms for carbonate. Um, Long-term, I think we're gonna be at about 14,000 a ton in 2021 real terms for hydroxide. I think there still will be that premium, um, but this is for the battery, battery quality stuff. Then when we apply this pricing to each of our companies, we look at what are they selling? What's the quality that they're selling? Where are they selling it? What's their pricing strategy? And then we make the adjustment there so that we have one consistent price for all companies, but then it's rolled out based on the company's you know, strategy to go to market. So that's where we're seeing, you know, if I have differences in my model, it's going to be based on the company driven strategy and less so uh, what they're selling. I want to turn to Compass, if you could help us analyze Compass, right? Because they're in the salt business, they're in a potash business. This company has like a 2 billion market cap. Their revenues and profit over the last five years is, you know, somewhat volatile, you know, but not nearly as volatile as, as let's say, live end earnings have been. When you look at Compass's traditional businesses, salt is a much more capital intensive business relative to their free cash flows than a lithium producer like Livent that's going to be relatively less capital intensive. When you look at Compass, you know, I see a lot of potential with the lithium operation. Um, first, this would be a secondary resource, you know, from their potash operation, it's already an existing brine-based resource extraction operation. So, you know, in my mind, that de-risks a lot of the potential pitfalls that a new greenfield competitor could have. Um, you know, and then Compass is already a profitable company. So from an investor standpoint, you know, there's a lot less risk with them entering lithium that they're going to need to do something like raise capital or repay debt and they don't have any money and they, they have major cost overruns on a project that we see with some of these junior greenfield miners. So, you know, I, I think uh, from that standpoint, Compass is a, is a good investment and you know, over the past several years, they have had uh, operating issues in their salt mine. Uh, the new CEO, Kevin Crutchfield, came in a couple of years ago, quickly turned the business around. The salt operation is back up and running. Costs are falling. Profits are growing. Uh, even in, you know, milder winter weathers, Compass is still proven to be very profitable with their current salt operation. So, you know, essentially, Compass had to come in, uh, Kevin had to come in, clean up Compass, restore the salt operation, divest some non-core businesses to clean up the balance sheet, and now Compass can return to growth mode. So that growth mode, the first big uh, investment that was announced was a foray into lithium, which I think makes a lot of sense given their existing brine operation uh, in Utah. And it's already permitted, right? So permitting is a, an important component of any uh, mining project. Um, you know, and, and it's and it's a brownfield. You, you affixed a ten dollar value to the lithium business. Could you 
articulate how you think about, you know, based on the limited information that they put out there? I, I had to make a, a, a very set of basic assumptions here. First, I'm assuming that Compass goes the partnership route since they don't have the downstream lithium chemical processing experience. So, you know, right there, I'm assuming they sell 12,500 tons of the 25,000 tons by the last year of my model. Um, I'm assuming a relatively lower capital intensity here because, you know, as you said, you can take you can take the Lithium Americas, Kuchari, Ola Rose, you know, CapEx line item budget, and you can essentially start crossing off line items that Compass doesn't need. They don't need to dig any more ponds. They don't need to build out supporting infrastructure. They maybe a little bit, but for the most part, that should all be there on the site. They essentially just need to build the DLE process and the lithium chemical plant, um, and likely some small other line items that, that are accompanying those items. But Essentially, that should be half or less of what, you know, Lithium Americas would have to spend or a Greenfield project would have to spend that's brine based. I'm assuming Compass has to spend anywhere from, you know, you, you could range it 125 to 200 million for their share of the project. Then I'm assuming, you know, on an all-in sustaining cost basis, they, they are able to produce lithium for a mid to high single digit per kilogram. And then from there, I just assume they produce lithium carbonate um, using my $12,000 ton price forecast. And that's how I get to uh, my valuation for the lithium business. That's how I flow it into the rest of the model. So you're assuming that they're, sell they're gonna make carbonate $12,000 a ton is the price. You're saying yep. that they're gonna produce that in the mid to high single digits. I'm assuming around seven, yes. And you're saying 125 to 200 million for their half share. You're, you're suggesting they're going to sell half of the project, meaning you think the total capex is going to be 250 to 400 million to, to build the whole thing. Somewhere around there, yes. Okay, and uh, it's, it's fine. Like I don't know what they're going to do, and you're an analyst, and you're just you know this is your 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 crystal ball in this. So so and then you're assuming they're only going to get half of that. So 12 and a half thousand tons, you know, times basically a, a $5 margin, um, you, you know, that's, that's like $70 million in profit. I'm just postulating, speculating kind of like with you, um, yeah. what could happen here? Because right now you're saying it's worth $340 million, right? It is what you think it should be based on the fact that they have a 2.4 million ton resource, that 2.4 million ton resource by, uh, example, you know, Langzess uh, standard lithium has a 3.1 million, you know, ton resource, right? So this 2.4 million yeah. tons is, is pretty close to that, whatever, 70% of that number. And standard lithium and Langzess, if you look at that project, the market's valuing that project at, you know, more than $2 billion, like two, two and a half you know, billion dollars, just standard lithium is getting 30% of that, you know, so, so the, the, the path from like a 340 million you know, value, you know, as they unfold their strategy, right? Um, in their case, they're, they're lying this, right? And that's, they don't have the technology. They're, 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 they're working with other technology providers, but in, in that case, you know, they could have 70% or they could have more percent, right? They could license a technology, you know what I mean? So I'm just like, yeah. I see I see the potential. If I see Ioneer is trading at a five or 600 million market cap, Thacker Pass, you know, anywhere, 
between 500 and a billion market cap. Piedmont's at a billion market cap. Standard Lithium and then Vulcan in Germany is trading at like a eight or 900 million market cap. So like the tailwind behind DLE stories is strong. GM uh, and Stellantis are, are, we don't know what the valuations are of their um, MOUs and, and investments in, you know, salt and sea, geothermal, et cetera. But, so, but there's a tailwind to, to DLE that I think Compass could benefit from. You're one of the few analysts, right, who actually cover Compass and lithium companies. Uh, there are other analysts who cover Compass that don't cover lithium. There's certainly a lot of moving parts, and I will be updating my model as soon as we get more information, as soon as we get, you know, further along the project development process for Compass. Um, you know, I will say that my base case was the $10 a share for Compass fair value. If I look at my bull case scenario, you know, we could see something closer to a billion dollar valuation on the project. In my bull case, I'd assume Compass goes at it alone and is successful, um, has slightly lower production costs and is able to essentially do this thing themselves. As the strategy unfolds, as we get more information on things like capital intensity and projected operating costs per ton, then I will update my model accordingly. So, you know, but but again, in an upside scenario um, where companies does everything themselves and is successful and is able to get those costs down a little bit, we could see a billion dollar valuation for the lithium operation. Sounds good. So just uh, let's let's end here. What's your target price for uh, your Compass, Albemarle, Liven, and SQM? My fair value estimate for Compass is 88 a share. Uh, my fair value for Albemarle is 145 a share. Uh, at SQM, I'm at 60 a share. And then uh, Liven, I'm at 18 a share. 18. Okay. So Almoral is already over that price as is Livent and SQM is under that. So you actually are, are more bullish SQM than the other two. And, uh, and Compass is at, you know, $67. So 88, um, it has more upside than all the others. Uh, yeah, your base yes, case. Yes. Yes. And a lot of that has to do with continuing to drive lower costs uh, from the salt business and then higher prices from the upcoming winter bid season. That will be for the 2021-2022 winter. So I think that will be a big near-term profit driver for Compass.